Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone and welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast with me, Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. Pleasure to have you along again and thanks for uh, picking up. Lots going on in the world as we start to open up point you in the direction of a couple of pieces. REC data continues to support a sunny outlook in terms of uh, both permanent and temporary uh, hiring recovering. The latest jobs outlook, which was released on the 28th of April, showed a significant increase in the positivity of clients about the wider economy going to match the trend of improving views on their own businesses, hiring intentions we've seen for the last few weeks. We're certainly getting strong anecdotal feedback from REC members around the country uh, on a really strong bounce back. And of course, we'd expect that to continue as the vaccine programme rolls out and all the jurisdictions in the UK begin to open up a little bit. Now, uh, as we do that, of course, lots of complex questions asked. The recent Talking Recruitment webinar covered in detail some questions about uh, opening up of workspaces and the vaccine programme. There's a YouTube link to that available. If you'd like to uh, dig in and the details of that, just get in touch with us at the REC. A couple of things to look forward to as well, uh, thinking about June. The 29th of June is the REC conference for 2021, all online as usual, of course. Really fantastic day looking at uh, a wide range of issues from how the market's changing through to the technology that's affecting the sector and some of the changing client expectations we see. We're pleased to welcome a diverse range of speakers, including Karen Billamoria, who founded Cobra Bear to talk about building back from uh, from a recession. Uh, we're looking forward to talking to Steve Ingham, the chief executive of Page Group. Uh, we're also welcoming uh, Claire Chapman, the former HRD of Tesco and of BT to talk about changing business as well as a wide range of uh, speakers. So do sign up to that free for all REC members on June the 29th. And the other big thing at the end of the June is the, uh, is the REC compliance test. And the compliance test is something that we expect all corporate members to take every couple of years. The deadline is June the 30th. So do schedule and get in that done over the next couple of months. If you'd like a little help or a, a booster of understanding on it, there are events in May to help you think about how you'll approach the test this year. Do check the REC website for those. And now let's turn to today's guest. We're looking uh, forward to discussion about how we take advantage of that improving picture for recruiters. Uh, fantastic to uh, be joined on the pod today by Steve Guest. Steve, welcome to the REC pod. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. Uh, I'm looking forward to having a good chat with you. So, Steve, you've been doing a lot of work uh, through the crisis and, and into the recovery on, on a wide range of things. Uh, your background uh, loads of years in construction recruitment, but you're also a published author with your book, Top Biller. Tell us about what you've been doing over the last year thinking about the industry. Yeah, well, it's, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, if I'm honest. Um, so I'd spent the last 11 years really building up a recruitment business or two regions for a recruitment business. And I left um, working there back end of 2019. And I'd set myself up to have six months of just going back to the day-to-day recruiting, really, and then looking to potentially open a new recruitment agency um, or actually go off and be a a third-party consultant um, and coach to local businesses. And that six months ended or occurred right at the start of the the kind of lockdown and the pandemic. 
it changed, I suppose, my whole thought process because recruitment was was very hard hit in most parts. And I noticed that a lot of ex-colleagues, friends, um, people that I'd kind of worked with and, and grown up around were on furlough or perhaps feeling a little bit insecure. And I put out a post on LinkedIn just to basically say if anyone needs any support or help, wants to book in for a, a Zoom call and a chat with me, then I'll free up my diary next week and we'll have a, a bit of a natter. If I'm honest, I thought I'd probably end up with about 10 people um, booking and it would be ex-friends, ex-colleagues, ex-people that I'd worked with. Um, and it, it actually ended up being 62 recruiters and it was global. There was recruiters from Singapore, China, Japan, uh, Australia, New Zealand, the US, um, Switzerland, and the, the conversations were very much about recruitment hurdles, the issues and the challenges that we all faced. But they're all the same. It didn't really matter where we were sat or what cultural or, or backgrounds we were from. Um, and that set me on a journey, really, where I wanted to look at ways in which I could add value um, and support people that perhaps needed that plan or that person to go to, to either be accountable to or to coach. That set me on a journey to set up what is now called the 12-week recruitment mastery program. It's like an online virtual training uh, and go-to place for recruiters because I wanted to empower the individual. That's led on to um, a free Facebook group where we swap and collaborate ideas. Um, and I think a lot of that's been on the back of how well the, the book has done, uh, which I completely didn't expect. Um, Top Biller, as you mentioned in the, the intro, was published in uh, November 2019. It's now sold across 42 countries in a little over a year, which I think has given a platform where I suppose I can I can look to add more value to a greater or larger audience. Um, so it's been it's been a really busy 12 months. I've, I've kind of grabbed every opportunity and then worried about how I'm going to do it afterwards. But it's more on the basis that I can hopefully help a lot more people that needs some support and some help along the way? I think that's a really interesting theme for me. And it would be my observation, actually, of the crisis in the recruitment sector, which is, I mean, like you, I mean, I, I started out in recruitment in the 90s. And while I went away from for a bit to do kind of cross-economy stuff at the CBI, mm-hmm. you know, it's close to my heart. And I think the big lesson that I took from 2020 was the kind of coming of age of the sector, the maturity of the discussion between firms and between recruiters mm-hmm. about how we're getting through this together and how to do things well and how to keep focus and all of that really overpowering in terms of you know the work you were doing, what we were seeing at the REC as well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I, when I think about what's next for the REC, I think... How do we keep hold of that spirit going forward? Because we know the market's going to change. In terms of what you were trying to achieve in, with the book, I, mean, I think uh, it would be unfair for me to ask you to praise it in 30 seconds now. But mm-hmm. in terms of a, a sort of a key message that Top Biller is trying to share with the industry, mm-hmm. what, would, what would you say that kind of top line would be? Um. I wrote the book on the basis that when when I first tried to enter the recruitment industry, I I was told I didn't fit the profile. I wasn't the 
typical kind of or didn't have the typical character traits of a recruiter in the fact that I'm an ex-strategic buyer. I'm probably borderline OCD, process procedure. I'm about doing things in a set process as opposed to necessarily um, being that flamboyant, confident salesperson. So I wanted to write the book to um, promote the fact that actually if you deliver on the deliverables and you you do what you say you're going to do, you can still be a successful recruiter. The initial uh, initial plan behind the book was to basically just to differentiate, and I wanted the book to be almost my my business card. My expectation wasn't that it was going to sell across various countries. In fact, I was told at the start I'd be lucky to sell more than 50 copies. So I suppose I always had, I suppose, little expectation from the book. Um, but I wanted it to empower. I wanted it to inspire people to know that actually you don't need to be the loud person in the room that that jumps up and shouts about every placement. If you just go about your, your work diligently, you can still be as equally good, if not better, than the, the loudest person in the room. I think that's a really interesting point because I think we all know our markets are changing as recruiters. Mm-hmm. And if we think about, you know, I spend a lot of time talking about what I see from the people who became my network over uh, 15 years at the CBI. And, you know, I'm used to working with FTSE 250 HRDs and thinking mm-hmm. about issues the way they think about issues. And you can see recruitment as part of a wider workforce planning agenda just mm-hmm. rising up and up their uh, list of strategic concerns. You know, how do we do this well? How do we onboard? in an environment where I think increasingly the UK is heading back very quickly to a very, very tight labour market mm-hmm. um, over the next few years. That's a different market to the one that maybe many of us grew up in. So what would your observations be on how the, that kind of market change is changing the kind of building blocks of a really productive relationship with clients where you can add some value? Mm-hmm. I think it, for me, it's always been about that. And I think quite often that gets lost with um, the recruitment process is that consultative edge. It's having that ability to be the extension of your client's brand and having the ability. My, my aim when I first started out was to successfully um, manage the pain points from the clients in terms of their general understanding of recruiters. If I could fix the pain points, it would make me a better recruiter and be, I would become the go-to person. I think as the markets are progressing, I think the recruitment industry has needed, I suppose, a little bit of a shake-up and a bit of disruption so that actually it becomes more about the service and the consultative nature of what we do than perhaps it has done previously. And I think the way that certainly the last 12 months have been we as recruiters have to have that consultative element because it's far more difficult to make the sale when people aren't necessarily in the office. Um, And you need to have built up or have those existing relationships where they will take the call because they know the conversation will add value to them or their business moving forward. That's really interesting. I think back to an episode of the pod we did last year with an HRD from BP Launchpad, and they said, the recruiter I talk to right now when they ring is the one who says, look, I've got an idea. What do you think of this? Not the one who says, you know, what are you looking for right now? 
have a look, I've got something for you that you might want to look at. And that kind of uh, thought leadership, uh, thought leadership is a very hackneyed term, but that sense of getting close to what the client's plan is now and where you can affect their pain points, which might be different pain points to the ones they had before the crisis. That's a question about trust and standing, isn't it? You've got to, you've got to build mm. that up with clients. Yeah, and I think I think you've got to be on a level where you have that strategic thought process. Um, and for me, I think that the end goal as a recruiter was always to have clients whereby I could make a phone call to them and say, I've got this individual, you really need to see them. And they would trust what I was saying was to a point where they needed to react. And they didn't need a CV. They didn't need necessarily for me to have to send anything other than my um, advice and confirmation that this is someone they need to see. And I think if I if I think back, and I always had that in mind, that is having the ultimate recruitment relationship with a client because the trust is there, the knowledge and belief that who I'm talking about is someone that they know they need to kind of clear some space in the diary to to meet with um if i take for example a placement I've, I've made this year um wasn't a live role wasn't um necessarily we talked about this year with the client but it was a conversation i'd had probably about six seven months ago on the basis that it was just a, a kind of i suppose off topic conversation but i knew the candidate solved that problem and it's about going back and understanding and having listened to the client enough to know that I could fix the pain point and be the consultative individual that can ring the client and say, I've got this person, this person will fix the issues you've got over there and help you develop a new division of the business. And it was a successful placement. There was no live job there. But understanding your clients to a point where you know you will add value, same with candidates, removes you from the general norm of recruitment and, and the relevant competition. We've already thought a little bit about, you know, what gets you there. I mean, you've hinted earlier on in our chat about the importance of doing what you say you're going to do mm -hmm. and, and consistency and a little bit talked about making sure you understand where your client's pain points are. A lot of this is about personal and agency brand, isn't it? You know, your, yeah. your corporate brand and your individual brand. What are the other factors that might come into that? What are the other things that recruiters can do that build you towards that position to be able to pick up the phone and expect someone not only to pick up the phone to you, but to 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 say, all right, then, when you say, look, I've got someone you really need to see? I think for me, so uh, mentioned off air before the podcast, I, I worked as a strategic buyer before getting into recruitment so I was on the receiving end of, of salespeople and and my main frustration then was salespeople didn't deliver on the the very basics of what they said they would deliver on and that could just be making a phone call at Thursday at 4 p.m it could be sending a, a a number of CVs by the end of the week whatever it is it's doing the basics really well by doing that um, and not over complicating things, not over promising, not under delivering all the normal sorts of thought processes we have. It builds the trust and credibility. And if you continue continually do that on a consistent basis, your clients grow and work with you. They learn to trust what you say and what you do and how you're going to work with them, that actually it becomes a combined effort. And, and I think it's it's simple in the fact that 
the clients I work with know exactly how I work. They know I do things thoroughly and properly. So when they get a CV, they know it's pre-qualified properly and all the due diligence is done. The basics are done very well and I, I deliver on what I say I'm going to deliver on. So I set a path or a process in place that is actionable and deliverable. And, and it just, it is the same. It's always been the same in the 15 years I've been recruited. And I think... We as recruiters, um, quite often we live a fast-paced life. Um, it's very up and down. It's full of um, frustrations and, and, and joys along the way. And we can sometimes get easily distracted from the very process that we're there to do. And I think keeping the, the basic processes and keeping them simple but accurate and, and well thought out will actually gain that credibility so that clients will become I suppose, reliant or have the ability to trust what you do and how you do it, which makes the process a lot easier. It's interesting. You, you referenced our pre-pod chat, so I'm going to disgracefully do so as well. And I think the, um, you know, we were talking a little bit about sports and exercise earlier on, and I mentioned that I coach and, coach and still play rugby. And there's a great Paul O'Connell quote from the great Irish uh, lock forward that I use all the time in the REC, which is he used to say to his wow. Ireland teammates, we're going to be the best in the world at all the stuff that requires no talent. Mm -hmm. And initially you think, hang on. And when you think about it, that is a massively powerful statement, mm -hmm. uh, which is everything that we just need to be good at, and it's only effort that requires us to be good at it. We'll cool. always put the effort in. If we then fail because we have uh we, we're limited in 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 skill then then we'll fail on something that is, that's more justifiable and i think that sense of building up trust and standing over time with consistency and with good process especially when we're you know throwing a lot of new technology at the industry over the next uh few years is mm -hmm. going to be super important to those relationships isn't it yeah 100% and i would say the the pain points when I first started recruiting, what, 2006, 2005, are still the same now. You speak to clients and you say, where's the recruitment process gone wrong? What's happened to make you not want to use a recruiter or, or try and do things yourself? And, and the feedback tends to be, well, we've met multiple recruiters. They've never delivered. They've sent CVs that aren't relevant. They didn't call when they say they were going to call. And it, it's generally the basic process of what we're what we're here to do and just getting those right and working hard to make sure you find people that match a brief there's nothing difficult about the process the difficulty is finding the great candidates but that's why we're worth our weight in gold the good recruiters because we're willing to go and find that that jewel and that great candidate that's going to change your business and i think whilst there's this fantastic changes and um, innovations in technology and the ways that we work these should all still complement the basics of the process i think that's right and you know ultimately it's a people business and it's mm -hmm. about uh, it's about selling people to people um and I, I think as part of that the the value creation is in what the individual does and yep. how the individual is, which goes to everything you've said. Now, of course, the, the economy is is changing in some really fundamental ways uh, because of, not just because of the pandemic, but because of the nature of an economic shock like the pandemic, it just 
uh, accelerates and amplifies a lot of stuff that we knew was happening anyway. Mm-hmm. Part of the job of being a professional advisor is to give professional advice. I mean, we've talked a lot in the REC's recruitment and recovery campaign about the scale of the industry and it being equivalent to law or uh, financial services, accountancy. In terms of how you go about then leveraging the brand that you've built up on the trust of doing what you say you're going to do, what have you seen that works well in terms of then helping clients shape their response to some of those longer term big changes? I think it's having a collective, I suppose, mindset. It's for me. So I I work within the construction industry and have done ever since I started recruiting. So construction is a very candidate led market and has always been that way, even more so in the current climate. It's about having open conversations with your clients to advise at the moment, there's there's high levels of counter offers. There's less people, less than there's ever been. So the ability to change and implement better recruitment processes that are perhaps, perhaps move a little bit quicker will ensure you get the people you need to get. For me as well, I, I always like to go a little bit more than that and, and try and put my supply chain together as well. So if I'm talking to certain contractors that are looking for certain subcontractors, you start helping your supply chain network and talk to each other because um, on a much larger scale, you start to get recognized for the individual, the the personal or company brand that that is adding value along the way with no necessarily monetary gain for putting companies together. It's a nice market at the moment. There's lots of opportunities and I think there's lots of potential. Um, from an outlook perspective, there are lots of construction projects that um, are, have been signed off but not yet got to site. There's a lot of companies that are currently at the bare bones in terms of staffing, and I think there'll be a real influx of requirements and perhaps not enough people to go around. Um, so it's about talking to them about engagement of graduates and apprenticeships and getting involved with local colleges, which is something else I do um, to ensure that I can have the conversations between universities, colleges and potential contractors that could Uh, get those students straight into work. I think from an overall viewpoint, you want to add as much value as possible from a consultative nature to your clients on the industry, the sector, the economy, recruitment, and everything that you can potentially help with. I think that's really powerful. And if I think about the role the REC is playing, there's a lot of similarities in what I'm seeing. I mean, just today I've been talking with uh, manufacturing technologies sector uh, groups about um, supporting some of the university work they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know that young people have particularly been particularly hard hit over the last year. And, and likewise, uh, an REC member who shall remain nameless and a major project which will remain nameless. Um, I had an hour on the phone with them about a month ago to do exactly that. And I encourage REC members to use our data and our expertise to help them do exactly what you've just suggested, Steve, because mm-hmm. I think there's a there's a real growing appreciation that what we're going to have over the next couple of years is actually not a job creation mm-hmm. problem, which I think government is still in the throes of thinking it does have. Mm-hmm. What we have is a job matching problem yep. uh, in terms of people's pathways to and into uh, the kind of skills that they need and and supply certainly if we look at the new immigration system and 
there's a there's a massive area for of course the rec to step up in our work in whitehall and westminster but actually the industry to step up as the as the kind of lubricant of a of what will be quite a tight labor market so i I see this as a really opportunity rich moment for those recruiters who get it right yeah i think as well i mean from a from a, a selfish perspective from a recruitment perspective i would far um, prefer working in a candidate-led market than a, a job-led market. I think when you have a a person of value, it's far easier to talk to companies because you have a, I suppose, a commodity that they need. And from from a selfish perspective and a business business perspective, it's good. Um, but what we have to do, certainly from, or I feel like I need to see, do from my side is educate the the sectors and the clients I work with on the basis of contingency plans and making sure that they understand actually what's going on in the whole of the market and not just their uh, potential subsector of what they they look after or work in. Um, And I think sometimes we can work in such silos that we don't necessarily look outside of that and don't see what's going on in the bigger picture. That makes so much sense. And and I think is a a real call call to arms for the industry in terms of the 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 role we can play you know which yeah selfishly is a will help us compete and prosper but also will you know will help the the country as a whole seize the opportunities that we that we now have mm-hmm. steve it's been a real pleasure to have a chance to chat to you today i've loved it thank you where can people catch up with you if they wanting to read more uh, well, I spend a lot of my time on on LinkedIn, so that's probably the first first point of call. And yeah, I'm I'm always happy to answer messages and emails. So just just get in touch. Super, and I look forward to um, to working more with you in the in the months and years as, as to come as we recover. And thank you to all of you for joining uh, us for today's episode of the REC podcast. If you'd like to. Uh, dig in uh, listen a little more I happily recommend the last episode with Joanne Lockwood on driving inclusion in and through the industry uh, really interesting chat that and well worth your time I look forward to joining you again for another episode of Talking Recruitment the REC podcast very soon thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this podcast join me for another episode soon And check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.